Okay, now, a list of some of the essentials of eschatology. The essentials of eschatology or the return of Christ the last days. I have 11 of them. Let me enumerate them and then go quickly through some of the scriptures that relate and prove these points. The first one, number one, is that Christ will return. He will return. And I have to assert that because some people in Christianity say he's not returning. There is no such thing as the return of Christ. The first one, the return of Christ. John chapter 14, John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Right? He said, I will come again. Known as the second coming or the return of Christ. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's coming again to receive us to himself, and we will be with him forever in that place where there will be many dwelling places. Another place, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. Matthew 24, 3. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They knew clearly he was speaking of these issues. And so they asked him, Tell us more about these things. When are these things going to take place? What will be the sign of your coming, the sign of your second coming, and the end of the age? When will this world end? They're asking Christ these questions. He will return. That's number one. Number two, when he returns, it will be a bodily and visible return of Christ. Number two, a bodily, visible return of Christ. It's not going to be an invisible return of Christ, but a bodily, visible return. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And while you're finding that... Acts 1, verses 9 to 11. The reason this is important is some people think that Jesus does not have a body right now. He gave up his body after he died. And they also say that when he returns, he will return invisibly. You won't see him. No, the scriptures say the very opposite. He does have a body even now and forever. He is both divine and human, perfect human, perfect human forever. And he has a body, and it will be in that body that he comes back. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection, after a few days, after 40 days. He ascended into heaven. And when they saw him, the disciples saw him ascend bodily, visibly into the clouds. The two angels, they say to the men of Galilee, his disciples... Why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up 
into, uh, from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. As he ascended, he will descend in that same bodily and visible way when he returns. Another place where we read of the bodily return is Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory, by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Christ, He is the King of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly wait for Him. Wait meaning what? Wait for His return. We wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when He does come, He's going to transform our humble, weak, finite, uh, mortal bodies into conformity to His glorious body. He has a glorious body, and we will receive a body like His, an, an immortal body that has no more susceptibility to pain and death when He returns. So, number two is the bodily, visible return of Christ. Then, number three. Number three, in relation to the essentials, is that the date is unknown. The date, or day and hour, they are unknown. We do not know, we cannot set a precise date, a precise time, a precise time of the day. We cannot set these kinds of details. It's an unknown date. This is number three. How do we know this? Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 36. 24, 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Christ himself said these words. That day and hour, no one knows. The angels don't know, the Son does not know, and the Father only, uh, he only knows. Now when it says that the Son doesn't know... It doesn't mean the Son of God doesn't know. It's talking about His human nature. He chose to be finite and limited for a time while He was on the earth in His first coming. In that sense, He does not know. The Son of the, the, Son of the Father does not know. But the Son does know in terms of deity. But we don't know. And God has not declared to us in His Word, nor has He to anyone privately in, in the wilderness, in the desert, in a cave. In the 1800s, he did not tell Joseph Smith. He did not tell Charles Russell. He has not told many of the other uh, fanatics over the 2,000 years the exact time of Christ's return. He says it again, actually, in Matthew 24. 24, 42. 2442. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time the, uh, of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you be ready too, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Christ makes it plain that we do not know 
the date, the day or the hour. Number four. Number four is, in the meantime, we must practice holiness. In the meantime, we must practice holiness or righteousness. Live the Christian life. Be godly. Grow in our faith, however you want to describe it. Holiness is expected now. Stay there in Matthew 24 at verse 45. 24, 45. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will, not, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and shall begin to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know and shall cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Weeping shall be there and the gnashing of teeth. The slave, who is the faithful and sensible slave? That slave is the one who does his master's will, who lives according to what the master commands him to do. But the evil slave says, no, it's going to be a long time. I can do whatever I please. I can eat and drink with drunkards. I can mistreat other people, my fellow slaves. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to obey the master's will. No, that's not for the faithful and sensible slave to do so. And we are, if we are obeying Christ, walking in holiness and righteousness, we are like the faithful and sensible slave. 2 Peter chapter 3 gives another example of the same. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Verses 10 to 13. Holiness is expected here as well. 2 Peter 3, 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And also verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Since everything in this world is going to be destroyed, how should we live? Verse 11 says, holy conduct and godliness. Verse 14 says, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. This is what we should be doing in the meantime. That was point number four. Holiness is expected now. Number five, point number five. We should expect now degeneration. Right now we should expect corruption. Now we should expect evil to increase and become worse and worse. Degeneration or corruption, things will get worse and worse in this present world. 
not better and better, because there are some who think the opposite, that things will get better and better, and then Jesus returns. No, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches the very opposite. Our first example of this is Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. Remember, his disciples asked him, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? 24 now, verse 4, Jesus explains. He begins to explain. We'll read a part of his explanation. Matthew 24, 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. The beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, it is he who shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations. And then the end shall come. Clearly, our Lord explains that the situation among the churches in terms of deception in terms of false prophets, in terms of lawlessness, these kinds of things will increase in the church or within Christianity. But also in the world, outside of the church, nation rises up against nation. There will be wars, rumors of wars. People will be terrified of these things. And then they will persecute us and deliver us up to death. The world will persecute us to death. So... That describes degeneration. It describes more and more evil or more and more chaos, more and more deception, however you want to say it. It is going to get worse, not better. Another example of things getting worse is found in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes 
to be glorified in his saints on that day, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. What's he saying here? He's commending the Thessalonians for loving each other as they should and persevering in the faith as they should in the midst of what? All of their persecutions and afflictions. But when will they have relief from it? When things get better in the world? No. It says in verse 7, the relief of affliction comes when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven. When he returns, when he returns, that's when the church has relief from its persecutions and afflictions and all kinds of hardships. That's when it happens. Not before the Lord returns, but when he returns, that's when our deliverance from this present evil world will be experienced. Point number six. Point number six. Our only hope and comfort is Christ. Our only hope and comfort is Christ. Remember back in John chapter 14, what Jesus said. John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Our only hope and comfort is Christ's return. We should only put our trust, our hope, and faith, consolation in Christ, and in nothing else, and in no one else. Only in Him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4 also reiterates this point. Our only hope and comfort is Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. 4, 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. When our loved ones die in the Lord, when they die knowing Christ, we should not be un, uh, unnecessarily grieving or grieving too much when we lose them in this life as though we have no hope. Why? Verse 14. For we, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Where is our hope and comfort? In knowing that those who have died in the Lord and us, we will one day be joined together when the Lord Jesus returns. The day he comes back. It says in 15, until the coming of the Lord. When he comes back, that's when we will be re reunited. And that's our comfort and hope. That was point number six. Our only hope and comfort is Christ. Now, number seven. Point number seven is that there is certainly a day of judgment. There is certainly a day of judgment. In Acts chapter 17... 
verse 30. Acts chapter 17, verse 30, the Apostle 30 and 31. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now commanding men that all everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. God has given proof to everyone that there is a day of judgment and Christ has been appointed and the proof of this fact that Christ has been appointed to be the judge of the whole world is that he rose from the dead. Because he rose from the dead, we know that there is an afterlife. And if there is an afterlife, how will we be ready for that afterlife? Only if we are found in Christ to believe that Jesus died and rose again for our sins. Only then will we be prepared for that day of judgment. Christ himself, Christ himself many times preached the day of judgment. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. Matthew 25, 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on His right, the king is Christ Himself, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat, I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. He said in verses 31 to 32, when he returns, he will sit on his throne. And there will be two groups of people, those on his right called the sheep, those on his left called the goats. And he will judge them. He will judge them, and the outcome of his judgment is verse 46. These will go away into eternal punishment, 
that is, the goats on his left, but the righteous, the sheep on his right, they go away to eternal life. This is the day of judgment. Point number seven. It will certainly come. Number eight. Point number eight. That there will be a new heavens and a new earth. There will certainly be a new heavens and a new earth. Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Second Peter 3:13. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Christ promised it, therefore it will happen. A new heavens and a new earth. He explained, as we read earlier in that same chapter, that this present heavens and present earth will be destroyed by intense heat of fire. Right in the days of Noah, it was destroyed. The, the current world was destroyed by water. But then this world that in which we now live after the flood will one day be destroyed by Christ when he destroys everything with fire. And Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21. 21 verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. We live in the period of the first things. And it says in verse 1 that this first heaven and first earth will pass away. Then God will dwell among us. We will be with God. In verse 4 all tears are going to be wiped away. There's no death, mourning, crying, or pain anymore. This will be the circumstance. This will be the eternal state of being for all of us. We who know Christ will dwell in this new heavens and new earth where righteousness and only righteousness, only truth, is supreme forever and ever with our Lord present among us. That was point number eight. There will certainly be a new heavens and a new earth. Point number nine. Number nine. That there will certainly be a resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. There will certainly be a resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. When we say resurrection, when the Bible speaks of resurrection, it means that our mortal bodies... Our bodies, our flesh and bone bodies that will die, one day they will rise from the dead. And when they rise from the dead, we will have this body, physical body, forever and ever. For the righteous, this physical body will be immortal and not susceptible to death or pain like we just read in Revelation 21. It will be immortal, it will be glorious, 
It will not need food. It will not need anything that we need right now. It will last forever and ever. And we will be in that condition, that state of being with Christ forever, all eternity. That's the resurrection of the righteous. But there will also be a resurrection of the wicked. Even wicked people, when they die, they will rise again. But when they rise again, their physical bodies will be experiencing pain, torment, death forever and ever. That's why the scripture calls eternal punishment or the lake of fire, hell, it calls it the second death. And it describes it as a place of punishment and torment and pain. That's the way it is for the wicked, a resurrection of the wicked. Now let's see what the scriptures say. That was point number nine, and let's look at two or three scriptures that show forth this doctrine. The first one is John chapter 5. John chapter 5, and we'll read verses 25 to 29. John 5, 25 to 29. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Now these are the verses that relate to the two resurrections, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. The sheep of Matthew 25 that we read earlier, the sheep are the ones who did the good deeds. They will rise to a resurrection of life. The goats of Matthew 25, they are the ones who did the evil deeds and they will rise to a resurrection of judgment or a resurrection of condemnation. There are two resurrections. And Christ is the one who will call out all people from the tombs in a miraculous way, of course, all of this will happen. Our next example is Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. 24, we'll begin reading at verse 14. 24, 14, and 15. Acts 24, 14. But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Paul the Apostle is explaining before Felix, the Roman uh, the Roman magistrate, he's explaining to him what's going on because there has been a big uproar among the Jewish people and Paul the Apostle because they are accusing Paul of saying wrong things or false things, things against the law, things against the Old Testament when Paul's not doing that. And Paul is defending himself and explaining what his doctrine is, what his basic teaching is. And he says in 14, 
that he believes everything that's written in the law and in the prophets. That is, throughout all of the Old Testament, Paul believes it. Just like his contemporaries and their ancestors. They all believed the things in the law and the prophets, that they, these words of the Old Testament came from God. They were inspired. And what was the essential message or hope of the Old Testament? It says in 15, having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves. That is, his accusers, false accusers, slanderers in the crowd of Jewish men, they were accusing him of saying wrong things, but he wasn't. He was teaching from the Bible. They have a hope in resurrection. They cherish the hope of resurrection that the righteous will rise one day and even the wicked will and the righteous will receive their recompense and the wicked will receive their recompense. In other words, there is a God of love and there is a God of justice. This was the hope that they had in God and that will ultimately manifest itself on the day of judgment. A resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. Point number nine. Now, number ten. Point number 10, the lake of fire or hell. Eternal punishment is real. The lake of fire or eternal punishment is indeed real. Firstly, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Our Lord says, and I say to you, 8 verse 11, Matthew 8, 11, And I say to you that many shall come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, meaning the false kingdom and the kingdom of Satan, but the sons of the kingdom shall be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This, this is a description of hell, eternal punishment, or the lake of fire. The sons of the kingdom of Satan shall be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Another place, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, 1336. We'll read 1336 to 43. Matthew 1336. Then he left the multitudes and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares of the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels." Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear." Here we have wheat and tares, wheat and weeds. They are in the world right now all mixed together, but in the end, 
Christ will send forth his angels, and the angels will separate the wheat to one side, the tares or the weeds on the other side, just like sheep and goats, right hand, left hand. They're going to be separated, and the tares on the left, the tares who are the wicked people, it says they will be cast into a furnace of fire. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a real experience. Remember also Matthew 25, 46. And these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Many people want to deny the existence of hell or the lake of fire. They want to deny it. Or they want to minimize it, saying, well, if anybody goes there, it's only going to be the most extreme of evil people. Or it will only last for a short time. It'll only last for a short time. But it's not, they say, not real and forever. It's not eternal. The scripture doesn't explain it that way. In Matthew 25, 46, it said eternal punishment and eternal life. Right? If eternal life is eternal, and we have the same adjective to describe punishment, how is it that in the same sentence, eternal life can be forever, but eternal punishment is temporary? Makes no sense. That's not the proper use of words and language in context. It's not. So there is certainly eternal lake of fire. Now, finally, number 11. Point number 11 there is only one gospel. There is only one gospel. One true gospel or one way of salvation which is in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. There is only one gospel. We must believe that Jesus died and rose again for us. And it doesn't matter whether it's Adam, Abel, Abraham, Moses, David, John, John the Baptist, the disciples of Christ, us now in this age, or even in the future, even in the future, there's only one gospel. One gospel for us, we who live here, one gospel for those who live in other nations, there's only one way of salvation, one gospel. Now, what is the gospel? What is the gospel, firstly? For that, a concise definition, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. What is the gospel? 15 verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that I also, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. He says in 15 verse 1, he's making known to them, as he's writing, the gospel, which he had already preached to them when he visited them. And this gospel is summarized in verses 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That is, according to the Old Testament scriptures, where it's also preached where you can also find the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi. And that Christ would be buried and rise from the dead. 
All in the Old Testament. And that's the same gospel he's preaching in the New Testament. Did Abraham believe this? Do you use one example? Yes. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, 6. Galatians 3, 6. Even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith that are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Abraham is the believer. We are sons of Abraham by faith, being a believer like him. But what did Abraham believe? What do we believe? The gospel, as it said in verse 8. The gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. And how important is it to believe that there's only one true gospel in every period of time? Faith in Christ, death and resurrection. It says in Galatians 1, verse 9. Galatians 1, 9. As we have said before, so I say again now. If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. There is no other gospel but the one preached by the Apostle Paul and his associates in their missionary journeys. Only one true gospel, the gospel of Christ. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.